Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. And what's that on again? It's Apple TV. So that's something else I got to subscribe to, huh? <laughs> At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello once again, this is Lou Katz, and I want to welcome you to our podcast that does its best to inform you on the ever-changing world of entertainment. Please welcome from WTOP and Vulture, Jen Chaney. Bravo. Hello. And to be honest, frankly, one of our favorite guests from Punch Drunk Critics and Around Town on PBS. You know him, you love him. Let's hear it for Travis Hobson. Travis. What's going on, y'all? And, of course, we cannot leave out the most important person of the bunch, our moderator and longtime entertainment reporter and critic. Here is Arch Campbell. Actually, least important is more like it, but uh, just uh, important to me to be here with uh, Jen and Travis. And here we are with another one of our podcasts. And uh, let's start this way. Jen Chaney, uh, what are you recommending this week? So I am recommending... The real world. It is coming back <laughs> uh, as part of CBS All Access's rebranding of the platform uh-huh. to Paramount Plus. They are doing a reunion of the first cast from the real world way back in 1992 in New mm-hmm. York. And um, first of all, I cannot recommend highly enough that you go back and you rewatch the real world from 1992. Because some of the things they are arguing about just for people from this era would not be able to comprehend, like the fact that they had one phone line and they would argue over who got to use the phone line. Um, (laughs) But a lot of it, as you may remember, is still very relevant, particularly the the racial arguments that they would get in. Mm -hmm. And one of the two black castmates, Kevin, Kevin. um, who was... (laughs) Really right about everything and somehow ostracized from the entire apartment. It's anyway, I've seen the first episode where they all come back um, and they're now, you know, in, in middle age and they're back in the very same loft. And uh, I just think it's going to be fascinating watching them re wrestle with the same things they were wrestling with. Wow. You know, what is it? 30 years almost uh, ago. Just about. And, and it was really the beginning of modern reality television. It wasn't the first reality TV, but it was, really the first one of that kind of set the tone for what reality TV would be going forward. So anyway, I, I recommend that. And is that's kind of launching the CBS uh, platform? Well, so the CBS platform exists. This is what's confusing, but they're just renaming it Paramount Plus and also launching a lot of new stuff as part of that. So that's one of the things. There, there's a new SpongeBob show that's launching as part of it. But I think the real world is going to be the one that generates the most conversation out of the gate. Okay, cool. Travis Hobson, it's always great to visit with you and uh, find out what you're uh, watching and enjoying these days. Uh, have you got a recommendation for the weekend? Can I just talk about how old I feel that the real world has <laughs> been around? It's been around for thirty years. I mean, I remember watching the first season and being <laughs> enraptured with it as almost everybody else. I mean, it was like nothing we had ever seen before. But they were. I mean, they seemed like they were pretty close to my age around that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, I, and now I'm like, Jesus Christ, they're in their 40s, 50s, <laughs> insane uh, to think that. I mean, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen Eric Nice on the grind. I mean, when was that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was when I was using that workout tape in like 1999 or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild to me. 
And I, I remember Heather B, she was an underground rapper at the time. And I had, was one of the few who really, I, I had her stuff back then. And I was like, what is she doing on this show? She uh, <laughs> took a lot of heat for being on that show too. I quite remember the conversations about it. She got a lot of heat for doing that show on MTV, a network that a lot of people didn't really, especially rap fans didn't appreciate. Even though they had shows like Yo MTV Raps, you still felt like it sort of sidelined rap music and black music in general. She took a lot of flack for being on that show. Crazy, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching that. In terms of what I'm watching, I'm like everybody else, man. I'm watching WandaVision. I mean, that's what I'm doing, man. I'm not watching anything else. I'm sitting here waiting for, for this final episode, man. I'm, I got theories. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, that's, <laughs> I'm excited for that. I don't know if I'm watching much of anything else but that right now. <laughs> I guess when people come to me and say, what should I watch? I tell them all Nomadland because it's on Hulu and it's uh, accessible. And uh, interestingly, I'm starting to hear some feedback of, uh, oh man, that was so depressing. Oh man, you know, I'm, I'm getting some feedback I don't like because I think Nomadland is, uh, you know, part of the future. It's something new. It's a new hybrid kind of movie. Every now and then I tell somebody that I managed to watch I Care A Lot on Netflix that <laughs> could stay through it. So I don't have a lot of recommendations this week. Those, those, um, those are interesting. <laughs> Nomadland, I mean, look, Nomadland was my number one movie of 2020. Right, mine but, too. But ask me how many of my friends want to sit there and watch it. Zero percent want to watch Nomadland. Uh, it just doesn't look like it, it, it's not the kind of movie that, and I always refer to this this scene from uh, uh, My Name Is Dolomite or whatever uh, when they were when his friends went out to see that that one movie at the theater and they were sitting there watching like this is supposed to be good this is supposed to be fun and they didn't get it nobody got it that's kind of the way I feel about a movie like no, like Nomadland like we love it but my friends who just want to watch a movie and chill never want to watch Nomadland and it's long it's it's you know kind of bleak and it's bleak yeah a little too real i want to watch that i don't want to watch it it's just one of those things man i didn't find it bleak i think you go into it thinking it's going to be bleak and there's stuff about Mm -hmm. it that's really joyful and uplifting i think that there has been some criticism rightly so of how it's representing the gig economy and amazon in particular and whether it's uh truly critical enough of what that how that whole system works but in terms of the emotions I got from watching it, I did not feel like sad at the end by any means. Yeah, I don't necessarily mean bleak in terms of like in, emotions in the story. I mean, like visually, it's not, it, it's fairly bleak. It's a lot of open ranges and planes and stuff like that. It's not a whole lot of things that pop out at you for your average viewer. They just don't want, you, they, you look at the images of it, it's basically just Francis McDormand in the background and the sky behind her. And that's basically all it is. They take one look at that and they're like, I don't want to watch that. Yeah, I disagree, though. I think the images in it are beautiful. I mean, not the inside of her van, but like... No, cinematography is amazing in that movie. And it's, it's wide, and I think it's beautiful. But people who just look at it from, from the outside looking in, don't, I don't think they're going to be like, yeah, this looks like something that's going to appeal to me. I'm with you, Jen. I, there's, a, there's an uplift uh, aspect of that that's unexpected. But So I'm surprised at the kind of, uh, of feedback I'm hearing. Lou, did you see uh, Nomadland? Arch, I did see it, and I would tend to agree with you and Jen. Well, I also understand, Travis. I don't disagree with you all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't disagree. I'm just telling you about people who don't necessarily watch a lot of dramas and stuff. You see, like, just that there's those those promotional images. They don't they don't 
rip you like your average person like i want to go watch that the one right. the one thing that, that i i was sort of confused on because i know that there were a lot of these a lot there were some people that were in the film that were they're actually you know right nomads and i was trying to differentiate ones that may actually be actors versus versus not did you guys go through that in your head while you were watching it at all pretty, pretty much everybody in the movie is a nomad except for david strathair yeah. right yeah, there's a documentary aspect to it that I liked, uh, the mix of documentary and uh, and fiction. So let's talk about the Golden Globes right now, because uh, Nomadland brings us into that. And talk about something nobody wanted to watch. <laughs> I didn't want to. I started to turn it off as soon as the first acceptance speech came on, and uh, it was muted. <laughs> and I think it went downhill from there. In fact, I would say uh, worst award show ever. And the ratings prove it. I understand the ratings are like stunningly low. That was not, uh, ratings were not good for the Golden Globes. I'm not surprised by that. Um, it was a terrible show and a terrible selection of uh, winners. For instance, did you think uh, Andrew Day was going to win Best Actress for the United States versus Billie Holiday? Anybody? I did not. <laughs> I think she was actually really great in that movie, a movie that I don't think very highly of at all but uh but i thought she was by far the best part i mean i didn't think she would win though i certainly thought it would be francis mcdormand um so i, I was surprised not unpleasantly surprised i'm just mm -hmm. surprised <laughs> there were a couple surprises like that in, in this for me i was surprised by daniel kalua winning as well mm -hmm. for um judas and the black messiah he's, he's really great and i got tremendous charisma in that film i i mean I, i'm happily surprised by it as well Rosamund Pike, I Care A Lot, Best Actress in a Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical. <laughs> I know as and many people who love that movie as hate it. Do you, I don't see her nominated for the Oscars. Do you? No. And Jodie Foster, The Muritanian. Where'd that come from? Where, I, I don't understand that at all. I mean, that movie is, I mean, I, it's okay. I, but I think her performance is as average as the movie is. I just... I don't know, man. Is is it a is it a uh, thank you for uh, being here so long? I, type of word? I don't know. Familiar name, I guess. I don't. I just I thought they were uh, awful, and they, and I hope the stench doesn't stick to the rest of awards season. Now, let, but let's back up a second. I'm not saying they were okay. good. In fact, I wrote an entire piece about that they were pretty much bad. But mm -hmm. neither of you watched this, so how do you know how bad the show was? Oh no, I watched. I I watched. Oh, you did. I, I thought you said you turned it off. I, what I said is I started to cut it off after the beginning. First, I watched a little of the red carpet, which was awful. Yeah, and yeah. then when Daniel Kaluuya came up and his sound didn't come up, I just thought I ought to just cut this off. But I didn't. I kept didn't. watching. Okay. And, and I didn't I did say, watch. I didn't say the show was bad. I'm just commenting on the awards themselves. Gotcha. So okay. I don't know how the show actually was. Plus, I got really tired of uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and this, oh, we know this show is bad. Oh, ho, 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 nudge, nudge, like wink, wink. I kind of felt like that was the attitude going in, that they weren't trying very hard. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that in fact impacted people who made a decision whether or not to watch it or not, but I never felt like... It was they were taking the awards all that seriously at all. Like, but after a while, you know, it's just well, yeah, I agree. Why am I watching? The one part that I thought was 
actually surprisingly seamless was Tina Fey and Amy Poehler being on two different coasts. And the parts where they were interacting with each other, they had them in a two shot that, that made it seem like they were mm -hmm. on the same stage. Mm -hmm. And their timing, other than their introduction of Norman Lear, which got kind of screwed up, their timing was actually surprisingly good considering what they had to deal with. Mm. Things got weirder when they would, you know, just leave a Zoom room open and be like, hey guys, interact. And no one knew what to do. Yeah. Um, so that, that aspect of it was, was awkward. But I thought the hosts under the circumstances did about as well as you could expect. So what do the Golden Globes mean for awards season? Anything? Is Nomadland the uh, movie of the year? I mean, I felt that way kind of before the Globes anyway. Mm -hmm. So that just sort of confirmed it. But, it, it, you know, the Globes also often award movies that don't go on to win the Oscar. So I don't know that it means a ton anyway. Yeah, I've never felt like, at least I haven't felt for a long time, that the Golden Globes informed the, the Oscars all that much. I don't know how, I don't know if they'll affect, affect them this year either. But I do feel like Nomadland will probably still end up as best picture. And I wouldn't be surprised if Chloe Zhao wins best director, but I mean, it's right. competition there as usual. And, and I'm still thinking Frances McDormand, but who knows? I was surprised she didn't win. Right. The yeah, well, she was the only one who wasn't there or, or, or on the Zoom call, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nominations are, are coming up, right? They're like in two weeks, maybe? Mid-March. Like maybe a week from Tuesday. Yeah, something like that. Okay. So are we interested in the Critics' Choice uh, Awards? They're, they're out this weekend. We are in the sense that some of us voted for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me to remember anything that I put in, though. <laughs> they have a lot of nominations for Best Pictures. The, the Five Bloods, Ma Rainey, Mank, Minari, News of the World, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal. Well, actually, that's what I should be recommending to people. That's such a good movie. And the Trial of the Chicago 7. Is there something brewing for the Trial of the Chicago 7? I don't know. Maybe a screenplay award, possibly. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's what it won at the Globes. Um, yeah. They only do one category. They don't split it, original versus adapted. Yeah. But I could see that happening. It's also just so boring. <laughs> <laughs> As a choice, you know, like we know Aaron Sorkin can write, uh -huh. Let's give it to someone else. <laughs> At the same time, I also feel like they'll they'll <clears throat> they'll want to to give him something. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like yeah. it, this is probably the best place to do it. But then again, don't they have a best ensemble award in there? And isn't Charles Chicago Seven in that? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a possibility as well. Maybe if it's not that, it'll probably I could see one night in Miami winning a award like that. Here's best acting ensemble: Defy Bloods, Judas and the Black Messiah, Ma Rainey, Minari, One Night in Miami, and Trial of the Chicago Seven. If they didn't put Birds of Prey in there, then yeah, they can go ahead and give it to the Trial of the Chicago Seven. <laughs> <laughs> the awards are different this year because we had the Super Awards, what just like a month ago or something like that. Right. So that, that removed a lot of the categories that we would normally have in the critical. Not to mention that we, the documentary awards are separate too. It's like yep. we're, we're creating an MCU of award shows within the Critics' Choice <laughs> Association. Much. 
It's kind of nuts, actually. I don't know how I feel about that. Yes, I do. I don't necessarily like it. I mean, what what's <laughs> what's the future of award shows on television anyway? What do we think? I mean, a better question right now, I think, is just what's the future of the Globes? Um, you know, uh-huh. the, the foreign press has been criticized over and over again over the decades, but this last uh, round of criticism for the money that that some of them are getting paid, and and especially, you know, the the lack of any black members in the association and who they're letting in and who they aren't, you know, it, it would be very easy to make them go away. All NBC mm. would have to do is be like, we're not airing this or right. a bunch of stars would just be like, we're not coming to this anymore. Mm-hmm. And it would, it's whatever relevance it has would immediately disappear. And that's pretty much the case for just about any award show that falls out of favor. If the True. network says, the critics choice as well, if, if CW one day says, that's enough of this, we're done with it. Where's the CW and where does the critics choice go? I mean, I don't know where it goes. There's a lot of things like that. And and, and in a lot of these cases, award shows design who they're going to give awards to based on based on who they want to show up and be part of the show. I mean, that's right. how it is. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, because the, the award shows, I mean, they're as much a, a big, a part of the, 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 uh, the group's business and financial, uh, financial accounting as anything else. And they want to attract stars. And I mean, Look what we did for the Critics' Choice about a year or two ago with Joker and how we bent over backwards for Joaquin Phoenix just to get him there. And it's, these things are, these are what these places, these things have to do. Um, they start, if they lose that, who knows, man. There's some interesting wars going on between groups because of stuff like this too. And I don't want to talk too much about it, but I mean, Critics' Choice, Hollywood Film Critics Association, all sorts of stuff, you know, wars and War, war words and wars of who can get the most talent, who can get the biggest talent for their shows. All this stuff is going on, man. It's kind of crazy, actually, if you dig into it. Yeah. I just want to say that NBC deserves some of the criticism for the Golden Globes because they can step in. They are the entity that can step in and, and change that. <laughs> And they just want a cheap award show. And those shows are cheap because the talent shows up, you know, gratis. I mean, do, does the show go back to normal next year and then everything's just, everything's just the same again? I don't know, man. I don't think so. I think, I think so. the, I keep thinking the world's going to look a lot different when uh, we're able to, to get back to normal. That normal will be different. How, how do you mean? I just think the world's going to be different. I think... We've all been trained to watch uh, Netflix. I think uh, people aren't going to go back to uh, theaters in quite the numbers they did. I think movies are possibly may not uh, generate the kind of feedback that uh, something like The Queen or uh, The Crown, I mean, or The Queen's Gambit uh, does. I'm... I don't know, but I just I just think things are going to change. I don't know. I I, I have mixed feelings because sometimes I feel the way you're describing, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like, well, this was already the case before anyway. Yeah. And I and I remember how after nine eleven, everyone said irony would be dead, and that lasted about ten seconds. <laughs> so I can't I can't decide how I feel about what it's going to look like. Well, remind me when it's over. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what is new this week? What's coming up? What can we uh, latch on to now? Well, latch might be a strong word, but (laughs) a couple things worth mentioning. There's a new movie on Netflix, speaking of Amy Poehler, um, that lands this week Mm -hmm. called Moxie. And it's based on a YA novel about a high school girl who 
sort of has an awakening to, to feminism, thanks to good old Gen X and our riot girls. She starts going through her mom's old zines and, and listening to Bikini Kill and um, starts a zine at her high school. And, um, and it's really about her, her journey going through that. I liked the idea of this movie. I thought it kind of oversimplified a lot of the issues it was trying to deal with. Um, it's really, it's, I feel like it's a teen movie that's more aimed maybe at preteens who, you know, don't have a full grasp of feminism and, and social justice yet. And this is maybe like a, a way of um, introducing it to them as gently as possible. So if that's, if that's the purpose of it, then that's fine, I guess. But, you know, it's, uh, it's okay. It's not, it's not great. Did anybody else see that? Travis, did you watch it? No, uh, I meant to actually. I never got a chance to see it. This is Amy Poehler's. Is this her second film that she's directed? It is. She did Wine Country before this. Right. I was yeah. trying to think what the name of that movie was. She did. She brought in all her friends to to go drinking wine and stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the screenplay is really the the biggest hitch in this one. Um, just some of the dialogue mm-hmm. is just not great. It doesn't um, seem like it's for me. But then again, I mean, to all the girls, it didn't seem like it was for me either. And I. Right. I'm over rocks to watch those movies. So, um, yeah. Right. Knows? But the like, difference is that those like that movie is not trying to like deal with serious issues right. and deciding to tackle date rape in the last 15 minutes. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't seen this yet either. I'm, I, and maybe you have Travis or maybe you have Arch, but um, coming to America with a two <clears throat> is coming out this week. Uh, it was supposed to come out, you know, last year and be in theaters and, obviously did not. So it's going to be on Amazon. And um, I guess I'm cautiously optimistic or maybe just cautious. I don't know. I mean, I, I <laughs> did you, did you watch it yet, Arch? Not yet. No, okay. no. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for you guys or anything. So. <laughs> oh, well, give us a hint. Well, no, okay. 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 I, 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 look, my, my opinion of coming to America is, is that the best parts of it are when Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall get back together. Like it's their scenes together. I mean, just like just like the original movie, the, the best scenes are with them together. We are going back to America. Oh hell no, Your Majesty! Come up in here. Hey, it's Kunta Kinte and Ebola. Famine and blood diamonds. Nelson Mandela and Winnie. Those hungry babies with the flies on the face. Hey, oh, 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 that's too much. Oh, now you oh, stepped yeah. over the line. Now we won't be talking that kind of shit about the hungry babies. You gonna have to get out of my chair. Politically incorrect. So what you doing back here, Hotel Rwanda? <laughs> the movie leans really hard on joke from the first movie mm. so because literally every single person for the first movie is here <laughs> so they're all just kind of updating the same jokes from back then so if you liked it then you'll probably like them now they're still kind of funny when they do the new stuff with like his his son that he goes to find and he brings him back to zamunda that stuff doesn't work for me as well uh new stuff doesn't really work mm. um so i'm kind of curious how this will play with people who may not have seen the original movie and they, got to, mm-hmm. and they see this one first, they might be kind of like, well, why is that supposed to be funny? Well, it's funny if you remember it the first time. <laughs> I wonder how the, how does the original play now? I wonder how it plays if you watch it first. I mean, I, re- I watched it not too long ago, maybe a year mm-hmm. ago I watched it again. It's, it still holds up, it's pretty funny. Good. And I think this one reminds you of, of reasons why it was funny, but it's just, yeah, the, the, the mo- modern day stuff with Jermaine Fowler and Leslie, Leslie Jones, she's actually okay, but most mm-hmm. of it, I take it or leave it. I kind of just wish they had left it alone and left it at Ben. Let it be just the people from their first movie. And both of you love WandaVision, don't you? We do. And it's the finale is is this Friday. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. I can't wait. Yeah.
through several different genres. I mean, I watched the first couple of episodes and I'm behind the curb now, but they switch uh, genres. They jumped through some more sitcoms in more decades, <laughs> but it's also, it started to bring the Marvel aspect into it a little bit more. And also, especially in the most recent episode, explain more of the backstory with Wanda and why she turn to sitcoms in particular. And it, to me, it's, it's, it's an exploration of a whole bunch of different things. One of them obviously being how we handle grief, but it's also mm. about how we watch television, um, which I find so interesting. And um, Jim Ponowozik wrote a really great piece for the New York Times about this being a show that, it, like, this is what we've done in COVID. We, we, we're like in a crisis situation. So mm -hmm. let's watch old episodes mm -hmm. of The Office or let's watch right. you know, whatever. And that's effectively what Wanda is doing, dealing with a different type of crisis situation. Um, and so to draw on those kind of parallels, I don't know, I do think it's really fascinating. And I doubt, I mean, look, I'm going to watch Falcon and Winter Soldier and I'll watch Loki and whatever, but like, I'm not sure another Marvel series is going to be quite as layered as this one was. Oh, this is, this is the most creatively ambitious thing Marvel's done, I believe. I think this is just, on so many different levels, this works for me. Just the exploration of classic TV sitcom tropes, you know, um, there's some brilliant <laughs> things they do that, that I know about classic TV sitcoms from having watched so many of them when I was a kid, watched Nick at Night religiously, mm -hmm. uh, that they bring back up here and fit into a storyline involving a super, uh, one of the weirdest superhero couples in history. Um, <laughs> as she's exploring the stages of grief, there's a lot of stuff in here, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, like I said, the show works for me on a lot of different levels. Um, I know there's still one big major cameo coming up uh, for this last episode, so I'm really excited to see who that is. Like I said, I have ideas. But yeah, this is going to be, this is probably going to be, of all the Marvel shows, as far as we know, because we don't know too many details about what some of these upcoming shows are going to be. When we first heard about WandaVision, we just knew it was going to be Wanda and Vision in a, in a weird kind of sitcom reality, but we didn't know how deep that was going to be there's a chance that some of these other shows could be deeper in ways that we don't know as well. But <laughs> I seriously doubt that will be the case for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Right. Um, I, it might I, explore some espionage aspects similar to the way Captain America and the Winter Soldier did, possibly. But other than that, I think most of the rest of the stuff's going to be pretty straightforward. They showed um, for uh, the TCA session for the uh, tele uh, Television Critics Association has their panels every year, which were done virtu virtually this year. And they showed some footage from Falcon and Winter Soldier, not a, not a completed episode, but just some footage. And it just, and it was great action sequences, but, and there's a little bit of the kind of grief aspect with um, Bucky's part of it, but yeah. it felt like, it felt a lot like a Marvel movie. I mean, no big surprise. <laughs> and I guess we should mention that WandaVision is Disney Plus. Yes, it is. Yeah. Disney so. Plus has another big thing coming out this week, uh, Ryan, Last Dragon. Uh, right opens this week on Disney Plus. And that's on their Disney Plus premiere access. So that's mm -hmm. where you got to pay $29.99, similar to Move On from a few months ago. Um, I wow. Ryan the Last Dragon thought it was excellent. Um, Good. Yeah, as, a, as an action-adventure movie, um, it, it kind of feels like they're like Disney kind of coasting a little bit. I mean, yeah, they're exploring a different culture, but in terms of like the themes and stuff, it's, it's kind of Disney on autopilot, but mm -hmm. Disney on autopilot is still pretty good. 
Uh, and they really have done a good job of ramping up action in the way they do battles and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I really cool. Well, speaking of doing battle, <laughs> Lou, can you remind <laughs> everybody where they can get this podcast and where we are? Well, wherever you get your favorite podcast is pretty much the answer I can give you, Arch. But specifically, we are on SoundCloud. We originate from there, that platform. And you can also get us on Apple and Spotify, too. And something else you can get with Hound Radio every weekend is an hour of lost songs every Sunday night. Check this out. According to the Webster Dictionary, the definition of the word stiff, when used as a noun, is a flop or failure. So Hound Radio, lover of floppy ears and all kinds of music, invites you to enjoy an hour of musical flops and failures. Hey, it's Lou. Thanks to Lisa over in Falls Church, one of our Hound listeners. She has sent in a classic stiff. Came in number 58 in 1972 on the Billboard charts. Call it Sunday Night Stiffs. Each weekend for an hour, Hound Radio will play nothing but lost songs that never became hits. Some are singles, some are album tracks, but they all have one thing in common. They're stiffs. Got one you want to hear? Send it to Lou at HoundRadio.com. There's only one internet radio station that's bold enough or dumb enough to do this. It's Sunday Night Stiffs, every weekend from 9 till 10 on Hound Radio. The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. I think this is the point in the program where uh, Jen Cheney throws uh, embarrassing questions our ways and uh, flashbacks and favorites. I don't think I've embarrassed anyone in, in several weeks. <laughs> uh, I'm I easily embarrassed. Okay. Uh <laughs> Just thinking about WandaVision, what we we're just talking about, I'm curious uh-huh. if you could be in a sitcom, an old sitcom yourself, what old sitcom would you want to be in? And don't ask me to answer because I just thought of this question like two seconds ago. So I don't know. Oh, the answer either. Man, man. Mine is Dobie Gillis. Oh, oh my God. I was like, like Dobie Gillis, man. Wow. Yeah, I always wanted to be his Maynard Jake Rose. Maynard would really amount to something if we could ever get him moving in the right direction but he keeps going around in circles. Yeah, I'm like dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Now that is old school. <laughs> yeah. You caught those in reruns, I guess? Yeah, they used to come on Nick at Night for a while. Yeah, I remember. I used to watch those in Nick at Night as well. Uh-huh. Love that show. Out of all the shows, that was my favorite. Yikes. If I could, I'd have been in Seinfeld just because. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's my all-time favorite sitcom. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm down, down for you there too, so. <laughs> Once I stopped working all the time, I uh, watched the entire Seinfeld series from start to end. And um, that's what I would be. Maybe I think I would be Newman. You see, my dear, all certified mail is registered. But registered mail is not necessarily certified. (laughs) Listen to you talk about mail all day. Anything you wish. I'll tell you a little secret about zip codes. They're meaningless. Wow. You just get a lot of grief all the time. You have to do whatever Kramer told you to. You watched them all over again. So you you endured that first and that last season. Those weren't so great. Yeah. The first one is pretty weak. It's amazing uh, where they came after that first uh, season. Yeah, they were really trying to find themselves. That and, you know, Newman was supposed to be the major character, not Kramer. Uh, so that's that's my my lot in life. 
Ms. Newman, what about you, Jen? Well, I have a controversial answer that I may regret giving. Um, <laughs> In living color. <laughs> that's not technically a sitcom, that's sketch comedy. I would enjoy being Homie the Clown, though. <laughs> my, my answer is if you could remove in every possible way, Bill Cosby from the Cosby show. <laughs> and I could live with the Huxables and Bill Cosby wouldn't be there. He would have never been any part of it, but just all the other Huxables. That's what I would like to do. Like, I would just like to hang out with Denise all the time. So why don't you say like the first season of a different world? <laughs> because I want to live in the brownstone. You don't want to be in a car. <laughs> and I want to babysit Rudy and make her not break the juicer. Nice. <laughs> Still thinking about that. Lou, you got a thought on this? Well, I've dug one out of left field for sure. I don't know if you all will remember this, but back in 1967, there was a uh, comedy series that lasted one season. I don't remember the network. I want to say it was either NBC or ABC. It was called Good Morning World. Good Morning World. Does anybody remember this? It was about two, two LA DJs, and there, there was these two crazy DJs called Lewis and Clark. Obviously a take on history there. It's 8.45, and this is the Lewis and Clark Show, and now a word for Desert Springs Rancho Development from famous skiing champion Bullet Kaufman. Hello, Bullet. I remember when I was a kid living in Silver Spring, growing up in Silver Spring, watching that show and going, well, how cool is that? And I always thought that would be sort of neat. Obviously, nobody remembers it. So. But that, uh, that's another good answer, though. You, you mentioning radio. I would also not mind being on WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, uh, there you go. Radio, that, I thought it was yeah. My dad definitely would have said WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> that's the one where they uh, dropped the turkeys from the helicopter. Yes. Greatest Thanksgiving <laughs> television episode of all time. <laughs> so well do we have any final thoughts uh award season or what we're watching what we're liking or what the world will be like <laughs> what's it going to be like in texas with no mask <laughs> i think probably not much different than it is now <laughs> gonna be a sick world i think i mean I'll, I'll i'll make one more recommendation i guess and it's for uh chaos walking which comes out this week also is this movie's been on the burner for forever. Uh, Daisy Ridley, Tom Holland, two huge stars, of course. Uh, it's kind of a YA thing. It's directed by Doug Lyman, so it's got big action sequences. It's been a long wait for people who've been anticipating it, and it, it actually holds up pretty well. It's a pretty good movie. Um, I don't think it breaks the mold for YA or anything like that. It's not going to bring back the genre, <laughs> for sure. That, that genre is dead and gone, I think, at least it should be. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, solid, it's a solid movie with some pretty decent action. So. I have another one, actually, now that you say that. Since he just won the Golden Globe, I just want to reiterate that Ted Lasso is a great show. Right. Dacus is terrific in it. I mean, you can say that any show like really relies on its lead to work, but if he wasn't as good, that whole show would fall apart. And, and he's great, and I fully support the fact that he accepted his speech in a tie-dye hoodie, um, <laughs> possibly after shaking an edible. Um, it's unclear. You know what? If your if your fiance left you for Harry Styles, you would be wearing a hoodie. You wouldn't even show up. So, Lou, we seem to be at the wrap point. How would you like to wrap this up? Well, like we all have been beating up a dead horse on the uh, Golden Globes this time around. I, I thought we would wrap up the uh, show with a song as we usually do. But this one is an Italian. The winner of the Golden Globe uh, was written by Diane Warren. And it was up against uh, songs from Judas and the Black Messiah, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, One Night in Miami. 
and uh, the U.S. versus Billie Holiday. Uh, it's called Locine. It's technically seen, S-C-E-N, in English, but it's all Italian. It's a beautiful song, so if you don't even understand one word, still enjoy the beautiful melodies. And we hope you have yourself a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time. Quando tu finisci le parole Sto qui Sto qui Forse a te ne servono due sole Sto qui, sto qui Quando impari a sopravvivere E accetti l'impossibile Nessuno ci crede Io sì Non lo so Nessuno ci crede mai.
This is the Cats Podcasting System.